and she's uh, one of us. She's one of our Hope Chapelites, if you will, but she's a freshman at Berkeley School of Music, and thanks for sharing your gift with us this morning. Uh, you ever heard the saying, there's only two things in life that's certain, death and taxes? You know, I, I thought about that quote this week, not because I haven't done my taxes yet, which I need to do, especially since I have Palm Sunday and Easter between now and tax day, right? Just, just minor distractions, a little bit of work for somebody in my role. And it's not even just because I've been thinking about death a lot, losing two parents in 11 months and, and all the pieces that went with it. And I remember carrying my cell phone in my, in my jacket pocket even when I was in the pulpit in case the message came through that one of my dad's, my dad had passed away. It's not those things, but it's interesting that in some ways, we look at that statement, and it, it's a reflection about death and taxes, right? That they are unavoidable. But it also makes a statement back to us that there's lots and lots and lots and lots of things in our lives that are uncertain, right? I mean, we've got some things that are just bedrock foundational. They're, they're really not going to change. And, you know, but there's a lot of time between the moment when somebody can claim you as a tax deduction to when you can no longer be have to pay taxes anymore, you know? There's a lot of pieces in between there, and there's a lot of uncertainty in the midst of those. I mean, just, first of all, there's all kinds of age spans, you know, and, and they, can get, they can get adjusted, abbreviated in lots of different places along the way, but, but you know, we, we start out as infants, and then we're toddlers, and then preschoolers, and then primary school, and then we're adolescents, and you know, the teenage years in high school and then college and young adulthood and my first job and then, you know, then, you know, you're, you're in middle age and then you get into later middle age and then you get into later, later middle age. I'm holding on to middle age in case you can't tell, you know. And, and then you get to be where you're retired and then somewhere along the line you become elderly and, you know, and the list just kind of goes on and on, you know. And then you reach the geriatric part, you know. And it, it, there's lots of different phases that we go through. And those journeys can be really different. And then we think about all the relationships that come into our lives, and, and those can kind of go, yeah, you know, first there's parents, and then siblings, and then there's friend, you know, playmates kind of things, and friends in the neighborhood, and then there's classmates and teammates, and then there's, you know, and then from there, you, you know, you get off to where you start a job. Now you have coworkers, and then you have a spouse, you have kids, you have neighbors, and et cetera. The list just kind of goes on and on. Then you have in-laws and all. It just keeps getting, and, it, and there's all kinds of these variables that come into our lives. And then we have situations with health, right? We, you know, we don't know how we're going to do health-wise. There's lots of variables that come in there. Lots of things that seem to be outside of our control. I got a text message late this week that my, my mother's sister, my Aunt Joan, who lives here in Massachusetts, they, she's been struggling off and on in and out of the hospital, whatever. They finally were able to diagnose the fact that the reason she's having so much internal bleeding is because she has um, a couple of tumors in her stomach and are in all likelihood cancerous. You know, we have a neighbor of ours, a young woman, grade school age kids, just, you know, diagnosed with Hopkins lymphoma cancer. You know, and the... the it just comes in, and I, you know, really, I've dealt with. I thought about all the different medical terms that I've dealt with in the last 12 to 18 months with people that I know. You know, from heart attacks. We had somebody in our life group who lost a parent this past week to, to a heart attack, congestive heart failure, pulmonary fibrosis, um, um, MS, leukemia, AFib, and the list just kind of goes on and on. And 
that doesn't even begin to talk about all the problems wrong with Leo. You know, there's just all kinds of things. <laughs> so, uh, so, not a zing, just a lot of prayer. Just reminding people to pray for you. But, you know, Leo's list is just too long for me to go through. But, you know, and, and we can laugh, but, but that stuff, it, it just hits us like a brick wall. And sometimes we worry that that stuff's going to hit us, right? And, and, it, and, it, and it fills our lives with all kinds of uncertainty, you know? And then, and then there's money, right? We start out as kids wondering if our parents are going to give us very much, you know, in terms of, you know, going out on a date or buying a Christmas, whatever. That kind of, and then we get to, you know, how much am I going to make? Do I have enough to get by? You know, how am I going to spend what I have? And the list just goes, am I going to have enough money to retire? The list just kind of keeps going on and on. And, and we have all these elements in our lives that are uncertain. And the reality is, whether we're honest about it or not, the reality is, is it introduces into our lives significant causes for worry. And we do worry. You know, we, we, when we have those moments when we're lying awake because we had a cup of coffee a little too late in the day or whatever, there are things that run through our minds and we are focused on the things that we're not sure how they're going to work out and we're trying to play them out in our minds the various scenarios and how we're going to fix this or make that happen or whatever. And, and we're dialed in on this stuff and we're fixated because we're trying to find a way to control the uncontrollable and it's worry. We're out on a walk or we're driving in a car by ourselves and you know, the thoughts just keep, how much is it going to cost me to fix that leaking roof? Or, you know, what's that noise now? Am I going to be able to fix that in the car? You know, there's all these things. It just invades, and we, and, we, and we worry. And we worry. You know, sometimes it's bigger stuff, like, is my child ever going to grow up enough to make enough money to move out and stay out? You know, those thoughts come into our minds, you know. At least it passed mine a couple of times. You know, and, and, I, and I'm not trying to get you to be, oh, man, I got so much stuff to worry about. That's not the objective here at all. But when we, you and I are honest and we step up to the plate and we understand that there's so much in our lives that's outside of our control, and it's often those things that are outside of our control that we have a tendency to fixate on, to look at, try to find a way to introduce a way to control them, we step over that line into worry, to fear, to anxiety. And those things for us are spiritually unhealthy. They are spiritually unhealthy. And, and, and let me just give you a, a, a couple of reasons related to that. And, and one is, is this. When you and I are focused on that which we cannot control, and maybe it's really important, you know, how am I going to be able to, you know, how am I going to be able to overcome this cancer and do this? It's big stuff. And we're thinking, but when we're focused in on it, we're not focused on God. And fundamentally, what the Scripture calls that is idolatry. We may say, well, it's just being responsible, but it's idolatry. We've got our eyes off of God, and we're fixated on the issue, and we have our eyes off of God. Idolatry isn't just out worshiping some kind of fault. It's somehow or another elevating something in a priority above our focus on God, and often it's like, well, I can't really even think about God until I fix this. And that's spiritually detrimental to us. Always. The other, somehow or another in the back of our minds, we have reached this conclusion that redemption, what God has done for us in Jesus Christ, 
that what it does with us related to fear and anxiety and concern and that kind of stuff, that, that stuff's appropriate for a funeral, but it's not relevant for everyday life. This whole message that God has saved us in Christ and we've been forgiven, all that kind of stuff, it's wonderful when we get up to those moments when we're confronted with the dynamics of death, we've lost somebody, we're facing our own death or whatever, but when it really comes to the practical stuff of working through life from when we're infants to whenever God calls us home, that, all, that somehow or another redemption doesn't really apply to that. It doesn't, redemption hasn't, doesn't have anything to do with removing the cause or the spirit of worry and concern in our lives and anxiety. And we've been working through a series entitled Recovering Redemption. And, and here's, here's the message I want you to hear today. Is that what Christ did on the cross for us, what was validated as Christ rose out of the grave on Easter, it's not just to bring comfort to us, to deal with our worries and fears and anxieties about when we die. It's designed to alleviate. It's designed to be God's solution, God's fulfillment, how God changes the way you and I experience even the uncontrollable dynamics that are a part of our lives that can become so fixating to us. Redemption is the way that God wants to deal with our concern and our fear and our anxiety. Now, I'm going to give you a basis for that today. But let me, I always want to just back up just a little bit and make sure we understand what we're talking about when we talk about redemption. Because we, we live in a time when faith or faith in God People have all kinds of different understandings. And I, and, and I want you to understand what, what I specifically am referring to when I talk about redemption. It's my personal conviction. It's the personal conviction of the, of the, of the, the faith statement of Hope Chapel. It's embraced by believers around the world, and it's been embraced by God's people since the moment that Jesus was resurrected from the grave, is that God has personally intervened in human history in the person of his Son to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. That Jesus, as a part of God's redemptive activity in history, I mean, God made us in His image. We shattered that relationship with Him by deciding to kind of do our own thing instead of doing God's thing. Didn't necessarily have to be evil stuff. It's just we just, just didn't do God's stuff. And Adam and Eve chose to go in a different direction. It, it entered into this, this, this dynamic that broke the relationship with God because God is perfect and He can't tolerate imperfection in His place. And and then God began to work in history to restore that which man could not change. And it starts out with guys like Noah and Abel and you know, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and etc. And it goes right on down the line. And, and every single one of those are people that demonstrate to us, even though they are the bearers of the hope, the bearers of the promise, they're also people in the need of, rede of a redeemer. They're far from perfect. Just go read the book of Genesis. They're far from perfect. They need a redeemer. And God, to drive that point home, he gave us a great gift. It's called the law. The law was given to us and, and was received by man as its goodness was that it could show us how to get back to God on our own, but ultimately the plan of God's, God's goodness in giving us the law was that it showed us that we need a Redeemer, that we can't become good enough for God. And at the right moment in human history, as God preordained it, Christ, his son, stepped out of heaven and somehow remaining fully God and being fully man, he became one of us and he lived as the perfect man. And when he died on Good Friday on the cross at the hands of the Romans, at the encouragement of the Jews, he somehow took, 
took all of that separation, all the stuff, all the all that thing stuff that needs to be dealt with. He 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 offered it up once for all. It's totally done. And when he resurrected from the grave, he gave us the potential to have new life in him. And that's redemption. When you and I place our faith in Jesus Christ, we acknowledge that we cannot achieve what he has achieved and that he achieved it for us and we embrace it by faith, knowing that we haven't earned it, there's nothing we can do to earn it. That's redemption. That is redemption. And we've seen over the last few weeks that as we recover the full meaning of redemption, it's not just about the graveside service and it's not just about what we do at a wake or a funeral, but it applies to our every life. We understand that you and I already are perfect in God's eyes. There's not a single thing that we can do today to make ourselves more worthy to God because ours has already done it in Jesus Christ. We are flawless in His eyes. And he perfected us once for all through what he did on the Christ. There's no more reason for us to somehow try to be good enough and to do well enough that God can like us or love us because we're already perfect in God's eyes. It's like God took Jesus' report card and he puts our name at the top of it. And it can never be changed. We also understood last week that, that God's love for us it's complete, it's full, it's eternal. There, there is nothing that you and I can do to make God love us more or to make God love us less. Because all of God's anger, all of God's upsetness, all of God's wrath towards sin, any, any mistakes that we might, it's all been fully satisfied in Jesus Christ. It's been propitiated, if you remember that big word from last week. How many of you used that this week in a conversation? I didn't think so. But what about fear and anxiety? What about, about the way we, all the worry we have about all the stuff that's going on? What, what about that? Does, does redemption have anything to say about that? And the answer I want to give you today is yes, it does. I want to give you a couple passages I just want to work through and make some points. But I, I, I want you to see some truths today about redemption that applies specifically about how you and I process every single day with all the things in our lives that are outside of our control but can come to dominate it and control us because we haven't understood what redemption can really do in us and for us. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 6 with me and of course we'll always have Bibles underneath the chairs there for you. We'd love for you to pull one of those out and um, you're going to find our text today on page 818 if you're using our Black Pew Bible. Matthew chapter 6. Those of you who are a little bit more of the, the churchgoer types, been in lots of Bible studies, you're going to understand that we're smack dab in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount today. If you're using your own Bible, you're going to see that everything is red, meaning that Jesus is the one who's talking to us. And he's teaching to them about a lot of different things. And, and in, chap, in verse 25 of chapter 6, he starts talking about worry. He starts talking about fear and anxiety. So this is what I tell you. Don't worry. So in the name of God, I can say to you today, don't worry, all right? Well, why? It says, don't worry about your life, what you will eat, or what you will drink, or, a body, or your body about what you will wear. In fact, most of us never worry about those things. I, I can't remember ever a time I'm wondering, am I gonna be, is there going to be food for me to eat tonight? I will admit that I've worried about what I was going to eat for dinner tonight. And there have been times I've wondered where, where I was going to eat dinner tonight. But I've never wondered, is there going to be food? 
remember one time I was in Burkina Faso and I was teaching some pastors and there was a half an hour break in the middle of the teaching day and I and the missionary with we went out to one of these guys' huts and and he, he wanted to show us it's just a little six foot round mud hut with a thatched roof and and as we left the, the, the missionary said to me, he said, Did you notice what was over to the left? Because there's not a corner, right? Around. So you know what's over to the left and, and he said it, it was just a small bag. And, and like a burlap bag, very small. He said, that's, that's all the rice that he has left for his family of six. But you and I, we don't worry about if we're going to eat. We might worry about what we're going to eat, right? Kind of idea. But some of you, we don't worry about whether we're going to have clothes to put on. Some of you worry about what your spouses are going to put on and what they're going to look like when they go out in public. But we don't worry about those things. But, but that doesn't mean that you and I don't worry. You know, probably the two, the, number th- the two biggest things that we worry about today in our world is we worry about money and we worry about our children. So those are the two biggest things. And, and we worry about those things. Those dominate our thoughts. They shape us. Many of us would say, you know what, I know I should give more, but why don't we? Because we're worried about whether we're going to have enough money. Right? And I, I, I told the first service this story, you know, with, with children today, I mean, our, our culture, it's amazing where our culture is going and out of our, out of our worry, our concern for our, our, our children, you know. When my, at my dad's funeral, we, the, the story was told, I, I think Benjamin told the story, but we, had, we all knew the story, but when my father was like 14 and a half to 15, you know, he, there wasn't any work where they lived. He, and so he and his father decided to take a bus up to Wisconsin where they were heard where there was work. And then they could go and they could be a part of this big conglomerate and they'd be just picking vegetables all summer long. Well, they got up to Wisconsin on the bus and, and all the work was gone. But this huge, you know, agro group would have said, we have jobs in Washington State for those who want to go. And somehow or another, my father and my grandfather landed up on different buses. So they had set out from Wisconsin and they head to Washington State. My father's not even 15 yet, right? And they get to Washington State. One bus goes to one place. The other bus goes to another, another place. So here's my father. He's not even 15 years of age yet. And he's in Washington State living in a barracks with 40 other guys ranging in ages from his age up to probably 70, you know. And he doesn't know where his father's at. He has to write home to Missouri from Washington State to find out from his mother where his, grand, where his father is. And he spends the entire summer by himself. And he's not even 15 yet. Now we live in a generation, we go to a college orientation for our children, and the number one thing they say to you is, listen, don't be calling the dean of housing because your daughter and her roommate can't decide where to put you know, the bureaus in their room. You know, I mean, it's just the, the level of being a helicopter parent over our children is incredible, right? I mean, and it's because we're so worried about our kids and something's going to happen to them, et cetera. And, you know, people are on the phone calling the principal because some kid looks the wrong way at their own kid. It's just, it's incredible. But we worry about this stuff. And we take our eyes off of God and we start worrying about and focused on the situations around us. I was reading the passage, wasn't I? So let's get back to it. Verse 25. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? So look at the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or, they, or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. 
aren't you worth more than they? In case you have any doubt about that question, the answer is yes. <laughs> you are worth more than they. Can any of you add a single cubit to his height? Some of your translations, and it could be just as accurate, says, can any of you add a single moment to your lifespan by worrying? And why do you worry about clothes? Look how the wildflowers of the field grow. They, they don't labor, they don't spin thread. Yet I tell you, they're not even Solomon, who was the richest of all the Israeli kings. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was adorned like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown into the furnace tomorrow, what he's referring to is where these, the hills would actually just blossom with these beautiful flowers, but the flowers would only last for a day or two, and then they would begin to fade. And so what they did is they gathered them up after they bloomed, and they used them to stoke the fires to get them really hot so they could cook more quickly. And so they would you know, they'd wait until they bloomed, they'd enjoy them, and then they'd quickly just use them to feed the furnace so they could cook more quickly. He says, if they're here today and thrown into the furnace tomorrow, won't he do much more for you, you of little faith? So don't worry. What will we eat? Or what we will drink? Or what will we wear? For the idolaters, some of your translations use the word Gentiles, for the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. Therefore, don't worry about God tomorrow, because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Isn't that a true statement, right? Each day has enough trouble of its own. Now, where in the world is anything related to redemption in this passage of Scripture? Connected to the, how we deal with worry. Look at verse 26. He says, you look at the birds of the sky, they don't sow, they reap or gather or into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Did you know that one of the core messages of redemption what God has done in Christ is that God has adopted us into his family by faith. And he really is your heavenly father. You know, in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5, Paul writes, he says, and he predestined us. He predest Before God started creation, God had already chosen to adopt us as his sons through Jesus Christ. You and I are adopted adopted into God's family. He truly is our Heavenly Father. And out as a result of that, you and I can trust that as He cares for the birds of the sky, as He causes the lilies to grow, He, he knows what we need, as it says here in verse 32. Your Heavenly Father already knows what you need. And literally, because we have this certainty that we are the children of God, we've been adopted into God's family. By Christ's redeeming work, it can drive out worry, drive out concern, drive out fear. Turn in your Bibles, if you will. Maybe you want to take your connection card, which you'll turn in later and stick in our, 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 uh, plate, our offering plates. Turn over to 1 John chapter 4 with me. I, I want to tickle this out just a little bit more. If you're using one of our few Bibles, it's page 1036. It's your own Bible. If you get to the back, you get to Revelation and start moving up a few of the small books, you'll, you'll make your way through the beginning, to the beginning of Revelation to Jude, and then you'll come to 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. Uh, just stay with me. Don't lose me. All right? I'll get to my point. 
Start with verse 13 of 1 John 4. This is how we know that we remain in Him and He in us. He is given to us from His Spirit. And we have seen and we testify. Now this is John speaking. He had actually seen Christ crucified. He had seen the resurrected Christ. We have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Savior, sent the Son as Savior of the world. That's redemption, right? He sent the Son as Savior. For whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God remains in him and he in God. There's the relationship aspect, right? There's the, the connection part. And we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. Some of us struggle with that, but John said he's come to a place, he knows many others who have come to a place, where they actually know, they experience, and they believe that God loves them, that he is a good heavenly father who already knows what he needs. He says God is love, and the one who remains in love remains in God, and God remains in him. Follow up in verse 17. In this, love is perfected with us, so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. So the impact of experiencing this love that comes through being brought into a relationship with God through the Savior, through Jesus Christ, gives us confidence in the future. It's what's going to happen at the judgment and when we're actually going to arrive at the judgment. It gives us confidence in the future, all those things that we can't control. We have confidence for we are as He is in this world. Let me unpack that a little bit. What John is saying is that when you think about who Jesus is now, Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father, right? He is the fully accepted, glorified, honored child of God who's sitting at the right hand and says, as he is, so you are, so I am in this world right now. When God looks at us, when God thinks about us, everything that God feels about us, every purpose, every objective, every initiative that God takes with us, it's always based upon the fact that we are already a fully accepted, honored, glorified, sitting at the right hand of the Father, child of His. Not done yet. Verse 18. There is no fear in love. There is no anxiety in love. There is no worry in love. Instead, perfect love drives out when you and I get to a place where our faith is matured enough, where we, let, we trust in God enough, we get to that place where we, our love is perfected, we're actually in a position where we have so much confidence in the fatherhood of God, the goodness of God, that He really is the, our Heavenly Father who's for us because we're His child. There is no more fear. There's no more anxiety. There's no more worry. It's all gone. Because perfect love, the fullness of the relationship with God, drives out fear because fear involves punishment. So the one who fears has not reached, has not reached perfection in love. The message of redemption, that you and I have been adopted into God's family, that we have this exclusive, prestigious place at the right hand of the Father, that everything he thinks about us is the accepted, glorified, honored, eternal son or daughter of God, also, that, that is intended to be scripted back through history to the moment that you and I are sitting here or standing here today to say it should change the way you live. All worry, all fear, all anxiety should be gone. That's what redemption is all about. 
that you have been adopted into God's family. And because you're in God's family, since you've been perfected in Christ, all of that goes. It's history. And I've gotten all excited. We've been adopted. We were predestined by God to be adopted as his children in Jesus Christ. So let me take you back to Matthew 6. That's why I had you stick your connection cards in there. Again, at page 818, if you lost your page, you want to go back there. I just want to ram home a few practical points. It won't take long to do this for us. Now that we understand that we've been adopted into God's family as a result of the redeeming activity of God that's been applied to our lives by faith, just a few points to understand. First one, and this comes out of verse 26. Just understand the futility of words. You can, you can worry, you can worry, you can worry, you can be fearful, you can be anxious. You, can, you cannot change anything through worry. Worry is useless. Can any of you add a single inch, even a millimeter to your height by worrying? Can any of you add one extra breath to your lifespan by worrying? The answer is no. Worry is futile. It's also not needed because you have a Heavenly Father who cares about you. Second truth I want you to see. Verse 34. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. I, I think the end of verse 34 is an invitation to embrace today. And that, that means in this moment, in this time, I need to find a way to be faithful, be proactive, accept all those kinds of things. I need to do what I need to do today, and I need to be responsible. This isn't like, you know, I'll just sit in my lounger, and, you know, if the roof caves in, the roof caves in, you know. Maybe the need is I need to go up and fix the roof before the roof gets But that's what I need to do today. But we get so fixated on the future. But he also says that when you and I are so fixated on the future, we lose the present. You know, the guy that wrote the book that kind of tracks along with the sermon series that we've been in, his name is Matt Chandler. He's a pastor of a church down in, in, in Texas. Actually, the church that he's the teaching pastor at took over the campus of the church that I served on when I was in seminary. Back then it was known as Grace Temple Baptist Church, and now it's the Denton campus of the Village Church. So I know exactly what it looks like on the inside and that kind of thing. But, but Matt Chandler, a few years ago, they discovered he has a brain tumor. And... And, you know, so you go into treatment and, and all the other patients you see in that same thing, they, they, they all essentially get the same issue that he does. So they all kind of went in together and he said he's built some real relationships and moved through. And, and, and now the majority of them are starting to die as the impact of these brain tumors. You know, so far he's still doing good, etc. But But he unpacks a little bit. He says, you know, here I am and, and you know, I, my, my next brain scan's in January. He said, and, and, and I, I can be tempted to be so focused on January. He said, but I got a 10 and an 8 and a 4-year-old at home. The more that I'm preoccupied with January, the less I'm enjoying them today. And many of us, we miss out 
on the joys that God's given us on a daily basis, the blessings that God's given us on a daily basis, because we're so worried about what might happen when, somehow. God, God, through His adopting us into His family, is trying to give us the gift of the present. Embrace that gift. Third truth. Just, just moving through very quickly. A lot of worry is rooted in the fact that you and I have a warped understanding of life. Look what Jesus says at the end of verse 35, 25. He says, isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? And sometimes we, we get so caught up in all the stuff that we really miss the essence of what God is trying to give us in life, which is our relationship with him and that grace-based relationship with others around us. You know, it's interesting, you know, Every once in a while, we'll watch some time, spend one of these, watch some time watching one of these shows that focuses on people who live in Alaska. Anybody see that? You know, one of them is like was like living beyond the circle or whatever it is. But they all they get these guys, you know, and they get you get this person who's living 180 miles or something north of the Arctic Circle or five miles below the Arctic Circle or whatever, you know, and and and. And you think, you know, they've left all of this behind, right? They're not worried about what their yards look like and this and that. You know, they're not worried about whether they're going to get fired from their job tomorrow. I got to tell you, it doesn't mean that they're not worried. You watch that show? I mean, it's like, am I going to find a caribou today? Because if I don't find a caribou today, or if I don't find, you know, a moose or something, I'm going to starve this winter. I mean... Just because they moved off the grid doesn't mean that they stopped worrying. But there's an aspect to our lives that we totally miss when we get focused in on that stuff. And God said, don't let your vision, your understanding of life get warped. I've brought you into a precious relationship of father and child. Don't lose it. This next one may hurt a little bit. Okay? Hurts me a little bit. Going to hurt you a little bit. You've got to understand that our worry, our anxiety, our fear, the guilt, all that kind of stuff that comes with it, we're not doing all all of that comes from the fact that we really don't trust God. Look, look, look what he says. As he, he's tooling along and he's teaching and et cetera. In verse 31, he says, God closed the glass of the field and they're here today, throwing them tomorrow. And you're worth much more. So he says, oh, you of little faith. He said, you know what? When you're like that, you're no different than the adult. You're no different than the people who don't know that they have a relationship, who aren't, haven't been adopted into God's family, who aren't really the children of God by relationship through Christ. You're no different than any of them. And fundamentally, when it comes down to the fact, we just have to be honest enough with ourselves to say, even though I may be a believer, I've been redeemed, I'm not, I'm not worried about eternity, and I'm doing all kinds of things in the life of the church, fundamentally, the reason why we worry and are fearful is because we don't trust God. We're not, we, we struggle to trust the goodness of God. You know, with, you know, with the, the wonderful Psalm, Psalm 23, you know, you know, even though I pass through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me, and thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. We read that. It's comforting to us. But what we want it to say is, 
even as God leads me around the valley of death. <laughs> you know, that's what we want. It's not that I go through the valley of death and fear no evil. I don't want that. I want God to lead me around, and preferably it'd be in a luxury vehicle with, you know, or a, or a limo or something, you know. And I, you know, and and we struggle with trusting in the goodness of God and how that's going to unfold in our lives. And really, we're never ever going to embrace the full meaning of redemption that we've been truly adopted into God's family, and that everything that happens in our lives is in accordance with God's goodness. And to a willing to admit, I just struggle to trust God. And that's where my fear and my anxiety comes from, my worry. But God's got a solution for us. Seek first the kingdom of God. Go to the, go, go to the Father first, and all this rest of the stuff will be added unto you. Let's pray together. Father, a prayer that I come across my lips many times. Very appropriate in the situation where it's first prayed in the scriptures. Appropriate for me today. Perhaps appropriate and spoken from the hearts of many here today. Is Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Lord, I believe. I believe in redemption. I believe that I've been adopted as your child into your family, that, that I'm getting to sit at your right hand right now. That's the way you view me. You understand me? That's the way you're relating to me, as this, as this elevated, glorified, honored child in your presence. But God, there's aspects of that belief that haven't really touched my life, haven't been perfected, and haven't, hasn't driven out fear yet. So God, I believe. Lord, help my unbelief. Lord, for those here today who believe, help their unbelief. And Father, for those who don't believe, give them the gift of faith in you. We pray it in Jesus' name.